Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Ken Sykes was born in the state of Alaska. He lived there through high school and was raised to have an appreciation of the outdoors and natural environments. He moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to attend the University of Utah, go Utes, <laughs> and studied mechanical engineering. While attending the University of Utah, he met his wife, Ginger, who is still putting up with him 25 years later. He currently has two sons who are eight and 10 years old. In 2015, an injury forced Ken to reevaluate his lifestyle and started him on a journey to fitness and self-discovery. Along the way, he found Spartan races and used them as a lens to help focus his mental and physical development. To date, Ken has completed 45 Spartan races, which include two top 10 finishes in his age group and two Spartan ultra races, where each measured more than 30 miles long with over 60 obstacles. You can find Ken on Facebook at Ken.Sykes. Ken Sykes, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's such an honor. We've been talking about doing this for a very long time. You have such a cool story into health and fitness that um, I think is... I think is very inspirational. I think it can help a lot of people who maybe found themselves in your spot several years ago when, you know, didn't really have the same level of health and fitness that you have currently. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to be able to get on here with you. It's been a while in the making. I'm glad to be able to get all the stars to align and be able to get on here together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we dive into your story, I'm going to ask a question I've never asked on the podcast. It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Totally random. What was the first piece of music you ever bought and what format was it in? Okay, so it was a cassette tape. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember which one was the first one. I think it might have been a Weird Al Yankovic uh, album. Hilarious. I'm trying to remember. I think, yeah, I, I, don't, well, I don't remember which album it was, though. That's hilarious. Yeah, that was, it was like back in the early 80s. I remember nice. I bought it at a grocery store too. It's when you could get music at the grocery store. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Mine was Ace of Bass that I bought on cassette tape also. Uh, CDs were like new and fancy um, and way too expensive for me back in the day. So cassette tapes for the win. Yeah, I remember um, like buying a cassette tape was a real step up because for flat, you'd get a blank tape. And you would call up the radio and you would request a song and you'd sit in front of the radio for like the next 20 minutes <laughs> waiting for the player's song and you'd hurry and hit the record button. So you could ca- you can make your own mixtape that way. <laughs> Dude, I totally did that. You had to be like Johnny on the spot on that record button to, to like not get it like 20 seconds in or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. You're like where, like, like just staring at the radio dial. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. We really had it rough back then. Speaking of having it rough, you, uh, grew up in Alaska, which I think is super fascinating. Tell us what that was like. Yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, for me, it was just kind of how things work, obviously being born there. So I was born in Fairbanks and then, uh, my family moved to Anchorage about a year later. Um, so growing up there, just kind of some of the things that, uh, I kind of took for granted that other people might find unique is like the daylight schedule. So in the, in the summertime, the sun comes up at like 4am and it doesn't set till like 10 or 11 at night during around the summer solstice. And so like in high school, I'd have a job working at a warehouse. I'd get off work at 9pm and go hiking for two hours and still have plenty of daylight. Wow. But then, uh, in the winter it was the opposite. So the sun comes up at like 11am and then sets at four. So like in high school, I'd get up, I'd go to high school in the dark, you know, seven, eight, six thirty, seven a.m. And then I'd stay after for like wrestling practice and come home to come home in the dark. So it's just kind of a, an interesting dichotomy there. Um, I remember there's like moose that would roam around our neighborhood. Uh, so they were, you know, they were kind of uh, very 
prolific around there. There's a lot of uh, natural moose and other wildlife. Even though I lived in Anchorage, which is you know it has a it's a metropolitan area of about quarter million people. Interesting. So uh, I've always wondered about the um the, the daylight thing. What do most locals do up there? Do they tend to sleep a lot more in the winter and a lot less in the summertime? Do they kind of flow with the rhythm of the sun, or is it still kind of more of a fixed schedule? So I know for us, we we had like these super thick vinyl blinds you'd pull down to try to block out the light to actually try to make the room dark at nighttime. Um, to be honest, that was really before I was really, you know, interested in circadian rhythms and, you know, tracking sleep schedules and stuff. I wasn't quite along that path yet. But, um, you know, so for, as, as growing up as a teenager, you just try to stay up as late as you can, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good call. Then what was it like moving from Alaska to Utah? Um, so actually, it was a fairly easy transition. Uh, coming to Utah, part of the reason for that was I had extended family here. My mom grew up in Murray. So I have my, my grandparents, aunts, and uncles here in Utah. Um, and then Utah actually has like a really diverse ecosystem with a lot of uh, natural uh, thing, a lot, a lot of natural uh, environments you can take advantage of. So you can go hiking and skiing, you know, and, and Salt Lake compared to Anchorage is really similar too. You have a large mountain range on the east side of the city and then a large body of water on the west side. Here, it's the Great Salt Lake. In Anchorage, it was the Cook Inlet. And, you know, and there's like bike paths, you can do mountain biking, you know, trail running, all that kind of stuff is available. Yeah, that's so interesting. It sounds like you were very active growing up and through early adulthood. When you started with school, did that wane at all? Um, did you did you stop getting did you stop becoming more active the way that you were? Yeah, I mean, kind of like a lot of things in life uh, would ebb and flow. Um, and, you know, in high school, I did, I did wrestling. Uh, it was kind of my main sport. I did a couple uh, seasons of football, but I didn't quite take to that as well. And then uh, coming to college, I think uh, at least the first few years, I lived in the dorms, didn't really have my own car. So I, I was kind of still a fairly active lifestyle there, you know, uh, just kind of getting around, trying to be involved in things. You have to, you know, locomote yourself to the different venues you're trying to get to. So that's either, you know, a mountain bike or, or, you know, walking or, you know, public transportation. So, um, but I didn't, I didn't really do it, participate in any organized physical activities, you know, after high school, I just, you know, I kind of maybe a couple of games, pick up games of ultimate Frisbee or doing some hacky sack under a streetlight, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. So as you were starting your family, um, you know, having kids, you and Ginger, you, we mentioned in 2015 that you went through an injury. Tell us about your physical state at that point. Sure. Yeah. So in, in 2015, um, you know, kind of a new, new to fatherhood, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And uh, so it was kind of uh, late springtime. It was time to get the sprinkler system up and running. So I had my one-year-old with me, you know, kind of being daddy's little helper. So I was, I was carrying him uh, on my on my hip with me as I was walking uh, across the backyard. And there's kind of a sloped section with some gravel. And I just lost my footing and my foot skid out from, skidded out from under me. And the process of stopping myself strained the tendon on the outside of my ankle. And it took three months to heal. So I spent the whole summer in an ankle brace. In the meantime, we're trying to like facilitate activities for the kids. We did like, I remember we did a backyard campout party with a bunch of our friends. So I'm hobbling around this ankle brace trying to help people set up uh, tents in my backyard. And this whole time I'm thinking how retarded this is. And then um, just the limiting factors uh, that my physical condition had on what I wanted to do, you know, at least mentally, right? The two didn't coincide. And so, um, and so then, uh, and now also I have the one-year-old and the three-year-old and they're both boys. So I'm kind of projecting this forward, thinking about the kind of the active lifestyle I had growing up, you know, uh, you know, fishing and camping and, you know, then doing sports and other things like that. 
And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to be able to be engaged in their lives and be an example to them of like of, of the kind of lifestyle you want to live? So I kind of that forced me to actually kind of go to a, uh, a local gym and just sign up on a whim. I think it was like it was early early November by the time I kind of wrapped my head around all this after I got recovered enough that I felt like I could go back to a gym. And then uh, my kids were going to a Montessori school at the time because both my wife and I work and. Uh, right across the street was this gym. I did zero research on it, which for me, being an engineer, I'm very much about research research and looking into things. So this is very unusual for me. So I just, I walked into this gym. I talked to the guy and pretty much like, okay, sign me up. So then I go home. I didn't even tell my wife I was doing this. I, I come home and like, Hey, we're signed up for a gym. Right. And she's like, Oh, okay. I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we'd, we'd had gym memberships in the bat in the past and used them you know, on and off. And, she, and my, my, and, uh, my wife and I actually kind of, we, we met up at the U and one of the things we did to kind of help form a common bond between us was we went to the gym up there. I was, I was taking like a weightlifting class at the time. So I kind of, you know, like no real, uh, stranger to, to fitness just didn't really have like a good, I guess, uh, a good consistency with it. Yeah, I see. But you did have some experience with strength training. Um, I'm curious, as you look back, what was, what was your diet like in those days? Did you follow any particular way of eating back then? No, I'm, I mean, I would actually literally admit to people that I ate like garbage. I mean, I was very much about uh, kind of just maximizing flavor, uh, whatever was the easiest. So fast food was quite often uh, on the menu, just trying to, you know, get something so I wasn't hungry that tasted good. I would I would tend to lean towards more uh, uh, meat-based dishes, just my own natural dietary tendencies. So uh, I remember one time we were at a like a, a work a work uh, sponsored lunch and we we're kind of joking around and one of my uh, colleagues made the comment that he was kind of a social carnivore because he would only eat meat when we went to these group outings. You know, a lot of times he had a more plant uh, plant based diet and then he looked at me and he says and I think Ken has a more uh, aggressive carnivore <laughs> diet <laughs> style. So yeah, interesting. So okay, w this is kind of where our paths cross. And I can't remember how long you had been a member at that gym that I was also at. And we, we know now looking back on on that this area of the valley of the Salt Lake Valley, like if you've never been here, you don't understand what it's like, especially in this particular gym. Like this is the gym that you get gussied up for. You don't just like walk in with workout clothes and do your workout and leave. It, like this is the the place where I saw people doing their makeup in the parking lot before entering the gym. And it's very much a part of that kind of culture. And it can be very intimidating for a lot of people. I'm just curious to know what was your experience like as you started to attend to the gym? Was there a level of, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, intimidation? What are people going to think of me? Did you experience any of that? Uh, not consciously, I guess. I mean, I, I realized that I wasn't like your, your typical gym rat. Um, but that may also kind of lend back towards growing up in Alaska. And I always kind of led uh, a lifestyle where I, I wasn't part of the mainstream culture. So, I mean, that wasn't really a huge hurdle for me. I mean, so going into the gym, I realized that I, mean, I wasn't the most fit person there. You know, I was far from it. Um, and so, but luckily, you know, just the, the things that I, I, I usually try to focus on the positives of situations. So I tend to, uh, you know, instead of like looking at all the, the meatheads there that are there, you know, trying to do their one rep maxes and, and having their little bromance with the other guys doing the, the workouts, you know, I, I ended up uh, kind of building a, a community with the people who had like similar interests. So um, kind of, kind of skipping forward a little bit, there was like a, a running group there and there was a couple of the people in the running group that were also kind of, you know, similar 
you know, along their, how far they are on down their path of their fitness journey. And so be kind of building that network and getting that, uh, it's almost kind of like cheers, you know, the, the old show you had where you, 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 a place where you can go where everybody knows your name. So having a few key members, they just walk in and say hi. And plus, you know, getting to know the staff there, you know, people like you and there's several others that were so open and friendly that really helped out. I think it helped kind of lower that hurdle for me. That's great. No, I think that's really good advice for people that are listening and maybe thinking about you know joining a gym or getting fit. It, it can be very difficult in the beginning, but I think that's a, a really good way to look at things, understanding that people don't really necessarily you know watch you or judge you or anything and trying to find the social circles where you fit in. You'll find a lot of like-minded people. Um, I will say during the pandemic, I did watch several episodes of Cheers. They still hold up, dude. I don't know if you have gone back and watched any of those. It's almost like Seinfeld. Like they're still really good. Yeah. I know Seinfeld's still good. I haven't watched any episodes of Cheers recently. Maybe I'll have to check that out. Yeah. They hold up. They're still good. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah. It's great. So, okay. So, so at the time, um, we kind of talked about, you know, you rehabbing your injury. What are your major goals at that time? Like, did you have weight to lose? Did you have fat to lose? What, what, what were you going to the gym to achieve? So I'm, when I first signed up, I never did any actual uh, metrics of my body. Just so just kind of estimating I was probably, you know, pushing 250, 260 pounds. I'm a six feet tall. I mean, I was probably, uh, you know, easily uh, 40% body fat. So I mean, I was, I was a pretty, uh, pretty a little, kind of close to getting roly poly, right? I was I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was obese, but uh, and I've always been you know pretty uh, had a pretty broad stature too, you know, kind of broad through the shoulders. So I would I definitely wasn't a little guy. Um, so my, my my initial goal was just to kind of be more fit, right? It was kind of an abstract goal, and uh, so I started you know I was leveraging off my past experience. Um, I'd done a little bit of running in the past. So I knew cardio was good. Right. And then I'd done some weightlifting classes. So I kind of knew I had an idea, you know, kind of how to step, you know, my, my three sets of 10 for hypertrophy and trying to do a progressive overloading, try to build up the strength there. Um, so I was kind of just kind of doing my own thing and winging it. Um, and that's when I came across one, when, when you sign up for the gym, one of the things they give you is a free uh, fitness evaluation from one of the personal trainers. Right. And so they came up to me and I'm, I'm, I don't really like salespeople. So they're like, Hey, we got a free fitness evaluation with you. You know, we're going to set you up with this guy. You want to, you want to do that? I'm like, well, it's free. I might as well do it. You know, so I'm expecting the hard sell on this. And so I go to, the, I show up to the session. It's like, you know, like a, like a 30 minute long session. And the, uh, the, it's a lot of kind of like uh, core strengths and range of motion type evaluations. You know, having you step over a pipe and seeing how, like, how straight can you hold your arm as you like with your back against a wall and ro- go through a range of motion without compromising your, your joint position. Right. And so this guy, he's very matter of fact. I mean, I, the first time I've met him and, uh, and so I expected like this hard sell, this big dollar sign attached to this, you know, how are we going to get you signed up today? Tell me what you got to do. And he ends the session by saying, well, you get like a three out of 12. And if you don't want to suck, come talk to me and he just walks away. And I'm like, I'm just left fab flabbergasted. I'm like three out of 12. That's not very good. And I hate sucking. Oh my gosh. So he totally reeled me in with that. And uh, I mean, and so then, uh, so then I, I follow back up with them and I end up getting him to write uh, fitness programs for me. Right. And he, and, and this guy, he has a, he has a back, he has a master's degree in sports science. He has a background being a collegiate trainer. Right. And so I kind of just, at our two points in our lives, this is kind of where we end up crossing paths. And, uh, so then he writes these programs. I start going through them. Right. And they're, they're fun. It's a lot of functional fitness, uh, interval style training, you know, and not really the, your usual, just go, you know, do uh, three sets of 10 curls. 
So it's a lot more mentally engaging too. That really helped me out. Um, kind of you know, gave a challenge, right? I don't have to come up with my own routine. It's already laid out for me. I just have to show up and do the work. So I get a couple months into this and he's, he's you know, I keep checking in with him every, every few weeks. And uh, he says, okay, well, you're working really hard. I can see you're putting in the work, but if you eat like garbage, you're going to look like garbage, right? And as through this process, I'm kind of trying to dial in what my goals are, right? Like, you know, I want to increase strength. I want to lose body fat. Those are kind of my two things right now at this point, right? And so the, towards losing body fat, he's like, if you eat like garbage, you're going to look like garbage. If you, if you don't want to suck, go talk to this other guy, the nutritionist. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do, go do a consultation with the nutritionist. And I'm kind of a little bit apprehensive at this point because I don't want to like onboard too much all at once and overwhelm myself and set myself up for failure. So I go have this conversation and there's another just super smart, super talented guy that's on the staff here at the gym. And he, um, and we sit down and he lays out a whole kind of plan for me and kind of breaks down and says, these are the kind of areas where you're lacking. These are the areas we need to build up. And these are the areas we need to like uh, cut back on. Right. And it's kind of a lot of common sense type stuff, you know, monitor your fats, your carbs and your, uh, and your, uh, protein intake. Right. And he's giving me general guidelines like, okay, eat a piece of meat the size of your palm, eat, you know, a source of fat the size of this many fingers and this many, this many fingers worth of uh, carbs. Right. So just kind of that way you can kind of eyeball a dish. You're not doing a lot of like mental gymnastics for it. So I start doing that and I start seeing uh, results. Right. And so then I kind of start getting into now my engineering side of my brain's kicking in. I'm like, okay, what does this look like if we take it to the next level? It's like, well, you can start actually tracking like grams of your macros, carbs, proteins, and fat. So I get to the point, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I get to the point where I actually have like a scale. And every time I have a meal, like I'll say I'm making a, a lunch to take to work. I'd actually, the night the, on Sunday night, I'd make like six of these meal prep containers I would uh, take like the chicken breasts and the and the and the black beans and the green beans or whatever broccoli whatever my you know food sources are and I'd I'd weigh them out I'd put them in these pre-prepared containers and then I would uh, write the 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 macros on a post-it note so I'd know which values to enter into my uh, tracking app that day right and so um, through this macro tracking uh, program I was on it was helping providing me a framework and it was an easy way to evaluate kind of food sources, right? Because remember one of the aha moments I had was like, I was hungry, right? And we were like out running around doing family stuff. So we stopped at Arby's and ate an Arby's sandwich, right? But then I like ate that and I was like hungry like an hour later. And so then I go to log it into my, 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 my app and the Arby's sandwich has something stupid like 700 calories just for the sandwich. I didn't even eat any fries, right? And so then I'm thinking like, well, I can have a 700 calorie sandwich that leaves me hungry, or I can eat like a chicken, uh, grilled chicken breast and a whole plate of vegetables for like 400 calories. Right. And so I helped me kind of start putting my head around like uh, food sources and where the nutrients are coming from. Right. And so then that started leading me to the, towards this direction of trying to get less processed foods. And I, I don't know if oh, there's, there's kind of an adage when you go shopping at the grocery store, you want to kind of just shop around the perimeter of the store because that's where the, the better. Uh, food sources typically are, you know, the produce, the meat section, the dairy. And um, and so I kind of started dialing in my food better that way. And, and, and then also helped give me a goal. It gave me a goal too, to work towards of uh, with these kind of these macro counts of kind of help recalibrate how much I was eating. Cause that was uh, another thing I had to kind of overcome was using uh, an emotional, using food as an emotional source right, to kind of help placate other issues that are going on. And over time, I end up kind of replacing that with exercise, 
So there was kind of a trade-off there as well. That is so interesting. I love that you went in such detail. You mentioned, you know, logging your food two different ways or paying attention to food two different ways. One was more visual using your hand and different cues and saying like, okay, I want about this much in this meal. I want about this much in this meal and balancing out that way. You also mentioned being very, very precise and tracking your food. And personally, I hate tracking. I, I hate telling my clients to track because I think it's cumbersome. I think it can be inaccurate a lot of times. And, you know, it's really can be not that helpful for certain people. But recently, somebody asked me to track my food. And so I punched in, you know, I haven't logged into my fitness pal in forever. So I punch in my stats and <laughs> it downloads my account information. I track my food all day. It's a huge pain. I got to say it was a terrible pain, but it made me aware of certain things that I wasn't aware of. And in that sense, it was very, very helpful. I've been trying to replace some of my calories that are coming from fat with more calories coming from protein. And I found out that I'm consuming a lot more protein than I would have thought. I'm at about 250 grams of protein every single day. And without tracking and, and being very conscious about weighing the food and tracking it correctly, I would not have known that. And so um, can you comment a little bit about the, the appropriateness of tracking food versus just like eyeballing things? Sure. Yeah. And so I'm um, kind of the, so to kind of put that in a frame of reference at the time at the gym, um, to help give myself a goal, something to work towards. Cause you know, this, none of this is easy. Like you said, it's like, it's a huge mental burden to keep track of all this stuff, to be planning ahead. Um, and, and so the, to keep myself on the rails as like kind of a, a to keep a goal to work towards, I'd sign up for these 60 day weight loss challenges. And so it's like a change in body percentage of fat. Uh, over the 60 days, right? And then they, they divide that. So it's like your change of body fat divided by your initial body fat to kind of even it out. That way it's a little bit more apples to apples across different people. And so um, to that end, like I wanted to do well in that challenge. So that meant trying to maximize in that 60 days, kind of doing like a blitz on my diet to get to that level where I was I mean, measuring every macro to like the gram. Right. And then to that end, I was uh, trying to hit my goals with each day within plus or minus 10%. So it was almost like more like nutritional engineering than a diet, right? Because of that level. Um, and it became, it was a huge burden. I did that for on and off for about a year and a half. And it almost became a, a habit. And, to, you know, on the plus side, we use something like MyFitnessPal and you have like regular patterns to your diet. It'll keep track of what you eat and you just go and you click the things you already normally eat, right? But still, anytime if I went out to eat like at a restaurant or something, I'd have to sit there like, you know, okay, if, the, if it wasn't like a chain restaurant that already had an entry in there, I'd have to sit there and try to figure out a way to finagle the macros out of what I ate so I could kind of keep on track with track with it. But, um, you know, the exiting out of that, the end goal, and this was also with the kind of the, the help of the nutrition coach, was to get to more of an intuitive um eating style. Right. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I don't no longer track my macros, but I still keep a lot of the same trends. I know I like, you know, this is an appropriate size portion of protein and, you know, carbs and fat sources per the way I like to eat. Yeah. And so, um, so there's, there, 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 I don't think it's a sustainable program long-term, but the things that I got out of it was what is appropriate food, right? Cause like I said, the Arby's sandwich example, you know, 700 calories versus 400 calories for a full plate of fresh you know, non-processed food and then uh, recalibrating portion sizes. Cause I think that that's something that a lot of people lose track of. You know, it seems like if you go to a restaurant, you know, you want to get the most value for your money. And so um, they just give this huge plate of food, which may not be appropriate for, you know, what your dietary and lifestyle uh, is currently at. 
Yeah. No, there, there's so many good gems in there. I love that you were self-correcting. I see that a lot with people who track. Like, I, I'm less likely to eat a Snickers bar if I know I have to track this Snickers bar. Um, and I love that you use that as a framework to then be more intuitive down the road. And so I, I take this from Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, where it's like you need to establish boundaries and borders and rules in the beginning so that then you can learn and then be able to be more flexible down the road. But you have to start by, by following the rules, following a template. And then once you've done that, then you can be more creative and intuitive with things. Yeah. And I, I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up is they try to like get the perfect system in place before they start. And I kind of, I guess, back lucked into that in both regards for both the gym and the nutrition was I was just ready to start something. Right. And so like, I just walking into the gym and signing up, not really, I didn't even realize that was a higher level gym with, you know, a, a kind of a, a different level of clientele to the kind of like you were alluding to earlier. Um, I just went and signed up because it was convenient. And that, that made a big difference because it fit into my lifestyle. Like yeah. I would, I would go pick up the kids from school and then I'd drop them off at the gym that had a nice childcare center. And then I was, I, I was in there almost, you know, five days a week. Yeah. So just working it in. So it's always known. Same thing with the, with the food, right? If you, on Sunday night, if I would uh, plan out the meals for the whole week, I wasn't trying to make on the fly decisions. Like I'm hungry. Now I have to figure out what to eat. Cause that's when you make worse choices, right? I already know like, okay, it's Wednesday afternoon. I'm eating this, this meal I've already prepared to, you know, a couple of days ago and it's all good to go. Yeah. There's no decision fatigue. It's like, I, yeah. I wear the exact same shirts Monday through Friday when I'm training my clients, I don't have to think about, well, what am I going to wear today? I, this, this is my training shirt. I wear this and I don't think about it. I don't bother with it. That's such a great way to do things. So, so we talked a lot about using tools for nutrition. Tell us how you were able to leverage technology and other tools for your actual workouts? What were some of the things you learned along the way, how you could, you know, use the technologies available to you to help you be more precise with your workouts? Sure. Yeah. So kind of said before, I'm an engineer and I'm kind of, you know, a, a, I'm a, I'm a closet nerd. So I, I definitely like to geek out on things. Um, I had, I had spreadsheets to track all of my weight loss, you know, with like trend lines. So I could kind of help keep on the goal. Um, so that was one thing I used with the spreadsheet. Um, and I found that useful because if you're weighing yourself every day, it can be uh, kind of self-defeating because uh, one of the things I found just like the amount of sodium I would take in would uh, affect my body weight, you know, do the water intake and different things like that. So um, looking over, looking at the, the, the average body composition, both body fat percentage and, and uh, weight over time was a, a useful tool for me. And um then uh, the gym I was at had a in-body scale that would uh, measure the percentage of body fat, and that was a better metric for me also than just weight, right? Because as I'm, I was, I was at the time when I was uh, following this program, I was probably losing about two pounds of fat per week and gaining a pound of muscle early on, and then that kind of tapered off. So if I was just looking at net weight loss, that could be almost defeating. Like I'm doing all this hard work, but my weight's not really changing much, right? I'm staying about the same weight. But you can, but then, but losing the percentage of body fat and also the visual cues of how my body composition was changing helped kind of give that positive reinforcement that you need to kind of keep pushing through this when it's, when it's not easy, right? It's not always easy to go to the workout. It's not always easy to eat the broccoli instead of the donut, right? But yeah. kind of seeing those positive feedbacks kind of would help like, okay, I know I lost 10 pounds, you know, last month and everybody today is having donuts at work. I'm okay not having a donut because I want to hit that next goal of the next 10 pounds, right? 
Yeah, that's so interesting. We love Embody. We don't have any affiliation with them whatsoever. But, um, you know, investing in one of their scales to take around to our clients has been so helpful because we notice the same thing. Like this happened last week. I had a client. She's been working with me for five or six weeks. It looks like she's progressing. She steps on the scale. The weight is exactly the same. And so, man, that kind of sucks. It's a little frustrating. Yeah. And then we do the test and find out that she has lost fat and has increased muscle, which you mentioned. A lot of people say that's not possible, which is hogwash. It absolutely is possible. You can lose fat and gain muscle at the same time and without having that body composition, you know, metric to look at, you would have no idea. You wouldn't know. And it would be very self-defeating. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, cause I mean, it's, it's such a grind sometimes you know, like you, you spend like the last week giving up all those, uh, you know, those food vices that you've been dependent upon for the last, you know, two decades of your life. Right. And you're like, well, you're, you're wanting some sort of a reward out of that. Right. What's, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for you? Yeah. You also had some experience with heart rate training and testing, which is, I, I believe how you and I met each other. Um, can you tell us what you learned through doing metabolic assessments, finding out how your body was using calories and then using heart rate monitors? Sure. Yeah. I'm more than happy to dive into that. So, um, I like, so I, I had, I had previously bought in a Garmin workout watch and there's other ones out there, you know, Apple watch does things, similar things now and whatnot, but, um, you know, my, so my, 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 uh, hammer of choice for that was a Garmin. Um, and so just kind of ha happenstance, I, well, not happenstance, uh, just kind of my, the way I'd work out every time before I do a workout, I would start the watch and kind of track the workout. And that way I kind of have, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, this kind of digital journal of my workouts. And then, um, as I'm getting to these 60 day challenges, uh, I started like, so like, well, if I want to get in the challenge, I have to know how many calories I'm burning on a workout. Plus my, uh, how many calories I, I burn every day, just being alive as a human being. And so the nutritionist I was working with says, well, we do a metabolic assessment in the gym here. We can sign you up for that and said, okay, let's go ahead and give that a, a, a shot. And that's where I met you for the first time. And so uh, the, the idea there is they hook you up to a respiratory mask and they're measuring the oxygen and carbon dioxide that goes in and out as you breathe. And then the machine can figure out from that, like what, like how many calories you're burning and what, what ratio of that is fat and which ratio of that is carbs. All right. And so my goal was to burn fat for this weight loss challenge. And so um, I remember I, I got on, I, I show up for the appointment and there's three choices for this. All right. You can, you can either ride the bicycle or you can get on the treadmill and um, so, uh, and then every two minutes so on the on the uh, on the test every two minutes they increase the intensity level. So you get on the bicycle and every two minutes they turn up the the resistance level on the bike. You get on the treadmill every two minutes they increase the incline. So it's almost like a power hiking type workout. Or you can get on the treadmill and every two minutes they increase the speed. And that one kind of scared me because like I'm picturing myself like after a few minutes I'm gonna be flying off the back of the treadmill as I can't keep up with the treadmill anymore. Right. So I'm like, I'm like kind of defaulting towards the bike. Cause I'm like, I'm on a seat. So like worst thing happens is I just stop pedaling when I get tired. Right. So then, then I, I asked you like, well, what do you recommend? Right. And I kind of, kind of broke it down for you, my thought process. And I remember your, your, your words to me is, well, running is a more universal modality. I'm like, it has so many syllables to it. I have to do that one. <laughs> right. And with not knowing that, 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 that would project forward to that. And then after that, all my cardio programming would be based on running. Right. So, um, and I wasn't really that big of a runner. I still have a hard time admitting to people that I'm a runner. I, I, I run for my training is kind of how I, I internalize it. But um, so we get on the treadmill and you start off at like, you do a little warm up routine and then 
you get on there and then uh, you start off at like a lot light jog and then two minutes and then you give it at a two minute interval you give a, a rating to the person doing the test of like what difficulty level is it and then he ramps that up like another a couple of clicks on the treadmill and the speed and you do that over and over again until you can't go anymore and you call it quits and then from that they get a like a, a there's a graph that the computer builds of what your calorie burn is across your different heart rates, like from a, from a lower, like a resting heart rate all the way up to like your all out running pace heart rate. And then um, the other really cool thing I found from it was it shows the ratio of the carbs to fat you're burning. And so at the time, because I was eating a lot of carbs, I was burning this like in my, in my cardio zone, I should be the, the most efficient. I was burning 60% carbs and 40% fat. Right. And this, and you highlighted this to me and said, well, this is something we can work on through diet and exercise. So then we started, uh, work, like I started trying to reduce the carbs in my diet and increase the fat. And the, the idea there was, is that by uh, taking the carbs away and adding more fat, you're teaching the body like, hey, when I need energy, I burn fat because that's what's here. I can burn all the carbs. So that's like the high octane, fast burning, like drag fuel. And then the car, the, the fat is like the slow burning, like clean, efficient fuel for the body. And so um, over the next like six months, it kind of altered the diet. And, uh, and then I also did a lot more uh, zone two training. So for people who aren't familiar, it's a lower heart rate. So it's uh, it almost feels like you're going too slow when you're doing the zone two training. I know you've had several other guests that kind of talk about that on your podcast. So I won't go too much into that. But um, And so doing that, I was able to flip it so that in that zone two area, like the optimum fat burning zone, I was burning 60% fat and 40% carbs. And then also that also helped my body too, that if I was doing like a fasted workout that my body already said, well, I need energy. I know I can burn fat now. So I'm going to go burn fat. And if I don't have any food in my stomach, it starts burning the fat off of my body. And so I just, uh, that whole diet and that kind of migration really like transitioned well for me. And it was all based off of that metabolic assessment that we did together. Wow, dude, I love hearing your perspective, um, being somebody on the opposite end of that metabolic cart. But that was so well explained. If this whole mechanical engineering thing doesn't work out, if you want a job as a, as a metabolic technician, I think we'll hire you on the spot. Okay, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> that was so well explained and, and simple to understand. And I think a lot of people, if they could just hear what you said and take some of those principles and understand that like, yeah, you will burn more calories. If you jump on a treadmill and you run really fast, you're going to be huffing and puffing. The calorie burn rate will be higher, but you will burn more of those calories from carbohydrates. And that's the direction that you will shift the metabolism. Meaning you are going to be more hungry. You're going to have more cravings. You're going to, by the nature of it, consume more carbohydrates more frequently, which is going to keep your blood sugar going up and down and up and down and up and down. And once you reach the maximum storage capacity for sugar inside the body, which is very small, you're going to convert that into fat and store fat. And that is what we tell everybody to do. We tell them to work out harder and we tell them to eat less. And that advice could not be any better for creating obesity. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely the worst advice that we tell people. Yet, if you slow down, if you shift the diet a little bit, it seems completely counterintuitive. Now you're burning less calories, but those calories are coming from fat. So now you're getting the results you want. You're burning fat. You're able to do fasted workouts because the body learns, I could have fat from my diet, or I've got fat here that I stored from that RB sandwich, and I don't want that anymore, so let's get this out of here. <laughs> and, and people get really great results in a way that's so much easier. So I really appreciate the way that you explain that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah. So then I remember uh, during one of the meta, one of the during one of the metabolic tests we were doing, uh, you you looked over at me and you're like, "Hey, have you heard about these Spartan races? I think you'd be really good at it." Because at the time I was doing a lot of zone two cardio, which is running based, and then um, I was also doing a lot of interval weightlifting workouts for my other workouts. So I was kind of splitting between the two. So it was one of those things where I got another uh, good guidance point from you on that to kind of help nudge me in the right direction. So um, went from that and we went and we signed up. I signed up for my first Spartan race and I put it out on Facebook like, hey, I'm doing a Spartan race. Who wants to do it with me? And like, I think I like like three likes on the post. There's like, there's like tumbleweeds rolling through my, my Facebook <laughs> post. So I go into um, my my wife was folding laundry in our in our bedroom, and I go under. I'm like, I was all pouty about it, and I'm like, no one's going to do the Spartan race with me. And so I think she was maybe feeling a little sad, sorry for me. So she says, "Really? I'll do it with you." I'm like, oh my gosh, are you sure? Because uh, you you might want to look into this. You know, me being the engineer, I'd already researched it and knew about all the different things, of right? You did, but. So I, I sent her a bunch of YouTube links to watch for like all the obstacles and stuff. She she watches zero of them. She just she just showed up ready to throw down. <laughs> Ginger's awesome. <laughs> Ginger's yeah, the best. I'm definitely a very lucky guy in that regard. Yeah, so. definitely. What a great partner in crime. So for the the listener who is not familiar with obstacle races, in particular the Spartan race, tell us a little yep. bit about what they are, what they involve, and how you need to get ready for these. Sure. Yeah. So, um, what it is, is they, uh, so an obstacle, so the Spartan race is just a type of obstacle race. Uh, it's one, there's several different brands out there. It's kind of the one that I've kind of honed in on. Um, there's also, you know, tough mutters and other ones that are kind of run regionally, you know, terrain races and stuff like that. But, um, the Spartan race typically consists of a running component and an obstacles. The running is, it's usually held in, uh, areas like they like ski resorts because there's a large venue area where they can have where they can kind of host all the the racers and then it, the the ski resort also has a mountain there so they can have like a trail running all, along all the trails there and you know and being in the summertime when it's not ski season they're off season and available so there'll be a, a running component of it they do three different typical lengths there's um a sprint which is like a 5k so three miles there's a super which is a 10k it's six miles and then there's a beast, which is a half marathon distance, 13 miles. Um, now that's all said with a little asterisk after it because Spartans are bad at math. So that's usually the minimum distance. The, the 5k usually ends up being a little closer to four miles. And uh, I had one, one of the beasts I did was uh, 17 miles. Wow. So <laughs> they've gotten better in recent years, but then, um, so you're, you're, you start off, you're usually running along these, uh, kind of either like service roads at the, at the ski resorts, or even some little single track paths. They kind of cut between things through glades of trees and up and down hills. So there's a fair amount of elevation gain in there. And then um, along the way, you come to these obstacles and there's anywhere from 20 to 30 obstacles on these courses and the obstacles are anything from like a four foot plywood wall that you have to jump over or climbing over a bale of hay to all the way to doing like a, a traversing across a metal scaffolding on Olympic rings. So there's different varying levels of difficulty in these. Uh, some other signature ones are there's a barbed wire crawl and a spear throw. So you have to throw a spear 25 feet into a foam target. And the way these are set up is a lot of these aren't really obtainable for everybody to do. Like um, my first time, my only goal was to not fall off the monkey bars, right? But the cool thing about the race is if you can't complete an obstacle, you can still do a penalty and uh, pass, uh, get credit for completing the obstacle and move on to the next uh, section of the race. 
Uh, unfortunately, the penalty is typically 30 burpees, yeah. which uh, I don't know if anybody's ever tried doing 30 burpees, but it gets a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But, um, but I, I found that that's a good, uh, a good uh, reason to uh, kind of keep up with the training. Cause if you know, you're going to be doing this race and you don't like doing burpees, that's a good, th- good reason to practice like monkey bars and other things like that. You may not be good at. Man. So I've done one. I did. I, I want to say it was 2016 at soldier hollow and I didn't, I didn't prepare properly for it. I was in decent shape and I finished okay. Um, and I passed 25 of the 30 obstacles, but I, I failed all five of the ones that were anything like the monkey bars, anything that required a lot of like body weight, upper body strength. I'm really, you know, as a cyclist and a hockey player, I'm a little bit more bottom heavy. And so yeah. those didn't necessarily go that well for me. So five times 30, I did 150 burpees that day. And I can tell you the last, like, I don't know, 25 burpees were probably the worst burpees anybody has ever seen they were terrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah spartan burpees are a little bit different than like your typical like strict like you know burpees you do for like crossfit or something else like that Uh, i think as long as your chest hits the ground and you jump with your hands above your ears count it so there's a little leniency there man it was yeah chest definitely hit the ground as i just basically collapsed to the ground and tried to figure out a way to stand back up afterwards And that's the really cool thing about it is uh, that I, I like about the Spartan races is that um, you have uh, you know kind of three different areas and nobody's really ever really good at all of them. There's very few people, but everybody can do at least one of them well, right? So there is kind of the endurance area, which is the you know the, the total duration and then the trail running aspect. There's uh, a mobility and uh, kind of strength to weight ratio, like the overhead stuff. So there's like monkey bars. Uh, you have to climb a rope. Um, so things like that, where you're kind of hanging, which as an adult, you may not realize if you haven't been on a, uh, on a gym, on a playground recently, but like monkey bars are really hard as a grown up. So, um, and then the other aspect to that is there's a strength aspect. So like one of the obstacles is carrying a 60 pound bucket of gravel for up a hill and back for about a quarter mile distance. Um, or there's another one where you have to pick up a hundred pound concrete ball, kind of like one of those Atlas stones that they use on the strongman competitions. And you carry that down, you know, carry it 10 yards down and back. So, um, so if you have someone who's like really good at climbing stuff, you know, someone is like a hundred pounds and they can do like the monkey bars all day long, but then they come up to this hundred pound concrete ball. Now that's a challenge for them. So, uh, doing the races, that's what I always try to, that's what makes a good race for me is if there's at least one time in the race, where there's a good dig deep moment where I have to kind of overcome and push myself to kind of hit that next level to overcome the obstacles. Yeah, no, that's very well explained. I found you really had to be kind of a jack of all trades. You had to do so many different things, which for humans, that works really well. We are absolutely movement generalists. We don't do just one thing and do that one thing really well. We do lots and lots of different things. And you mentioned the monkey bars, brachiation, just hanging from something is something that humans can do that, you know, maybe some other primates can do, but but by and large, you don't see cheetahs or lions doing that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And we can run and sprint and jump and throw in particular, like we can swim. There's so many different things that we can do. And I, I love the Spartan races because there's such a wide variety of those things, more of the endurance on the one side, but also, you know, more of the power and the, the speed as you're like scampering up a hill. And there's more of the strength, which you're mentioning the, those rocks. Like, yeah, absolutely. Very challenging in different ways. As you got started into this world, what things surprised you about doing the Spartan races and what things did you learn about yourself? Um, that's some good questions. So the kind of, some of the things that surprised me was, um, how the culminative, so any of those obstacles on their own, isn't super difficult. 
Like most people would be able to do them if you just walked up and just did the monkey bars when you're fresh. But it's like the cumulative effect, right? So like, or let's like talk about the, the barbed wire crawl. So if the call, crawl for 20 yards under some barbed wire. So uh, most people just to do that right out of the gate, it's not a problem. But if you've been uh, trail running through the mountains for six miles, now your legs are all gassed, your hip flexors are all like totally uh, fired up. You go to get down on your knees and you start trying to crawl under that. You're, you've been sweating, so your electrolytes are all depleted. You start cramping up just from crawling on the ground, right? And then you have to get up and run onto the next thing. So that was probably one of the biggest surprises for me. Um, the other one was uh, that my first race, I'd done all my cardio, either running, doing uh, like road running or running on a treadmill. And the trail running aspect of it is such a different animal because you're using all the, like the stabilizer muscles in your ankle. Um, there's a lot of elevation gain, like uh, uh, in a typical 5k race, you'll have a, oh, like over a thousand feet of elevation gain you know, for a Spartan race. Um, you know, in the, in the, in the half marathon, so in 13 miles there, you know, you can get upwards of 5,000 feet of elevation gain. So that's almost like a vertical mile you're climbing across this. So just the way that that also taxes the system differently. And that's another thing I kind of like about the Spartan races. Yeah. Um, and trying to, trying to load that up as far as things I learned about myself, um, it's been a couple things. Uh, a lot of it's just been kind of like uh, that kind of like that, just being able to progressively push past where I'm comfortable. So getting to where I'm comfortable and maybe going like another 10% past that, you know, in the training and uh, being able to kind of keep progressing myself going forward. Um, finding and then uh, finding the ability to keep going even when things aren't optimal. You know, like, so if, if, if I'm, you know, there was, uh, so one of the examples was uh, last year, the Spartan race in Utah on the 13 mile one, I got nauseous about mile seven on the race about halfway through. And anytime I got my heart rate up elevated at all, I just felt like I was, I wanted to uh, just lose my lunch, but I never could actually get my system to, to purge out. So I just spent like the next like three hours being miserable like uh, feeling miserable physically, but you know, you're up there on the side of the mountain, you're halfway into this race and you're like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to like throw on the white, throw in the towel and, you know, just have someone haul me down the mountain on a, on a four wheeler, you know, on the medics, or am I going to push through this and finish what I started? And so that was one of those times where you have to kind of, you know, uh, reevaluate yourself, look down inside and decide what you're, you know, what you're made of. And, you know, luckily I was there with my wife and she kind of helped coach me through it. And we kept going and, and we got through the race and then was able to recover and do two more races the next day. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I see a ton of parallels between this world and the world of ultra marathon. And, and obviously with the two long ones that you did, that would be technically considered an ultra marathon longer than 26 miles. But it just seems like in these worlds, every race, every event that you do, you come up to at least one point of like, I don't know if I can keep going or a point of like, I had my plan. I had my A plan, my B plan, my C plan, and all of them went out the window because of other events that I could not control. Could be weather, could be feeling nauseous, like you mentioned. Could be you just have bad legs. You just wake up one day and you're not fully recovered. And it, it forces you to decide what you're going to do. And I, I really love and appreciate that about these worlds where you have to kind of get to that that kind of, um, I don't know, I guess like the the border of where you think you can go and and push past it to, to prove to yourself that you can keep going. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that's one of the interesting things about the Spartan community is uh, they're the, the founder of Spartan races, Jody Cena. 
he uh, does a lot. He has a couple of books out there and he does some podcasts and other kind of social media presences, but they do a lot of things about like overcoming adversity. And I mean, obviously they're kind of funneling it into the Spartan race uh, frame of reference, but that also translates over into life. I think, I think right now in life, uh, you know, in the modern age we're in, there's so much easily accessed comfort. You know, we have air conditioned houses. Um, we, we drive to where we need to go where uh, people are just not used to being uncomfortable and it's just like any other muscle. If you don't flex that and get those, get used to those acute stresses in your life, when something does come up, you're not able to wrap your head around it and figure out how to handle it and overcome it. You know, so the fact that I've, you know, I kind of, you know, if someone, I've, the fact that I've been out there, like trying to figure out how to run, you know, 20 miles in the mountains when I'm out of water and, uh, you know, I'm still like three miles back from the car and, you know, just trying to make sure I get back alive. And then you, in your daily daily life, you compare that to like if someone cuts you off in traffic, it's a totally, it helps kind of recalibrate what true, what is truly hard in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the next time your Wi-Fi goes out for 20 minutes, you, you realize like, it's not that big of a deal. I'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm, that's so interesting. What has it meant to you to be able to do these with Ginger by your side? Oh my gosh. So, um, again, it was just kind of one of those things where I didn't really plan it going into it, but the fact she signed up for the first race with me and then she stuck through it. And then we, 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 uh, we, we got done and we're like, oh my gosh, that was horrible, but we could totally do that better. And we were both on the same mindset. And so we kind of went on this journey together where, um, you know, then we signed up for another race cause she had a work trip in Colorado and there was a race that weekend. I'm like, well, we can do that together. Right. And, and so we, we've kind of continued on that path. And so what that's ended up looking like for us is, you know, uh, try to, so we keep training for these so we can perform well when it's time to do the races. Our date nights become trail runs in the mountains together, right? And so we have this bonding time. And it's been really fortunate because I've seen a lot of other people, these endurance uh, athletes, you know, triathlons and, and, you know, marathoners and ultramarathoners, there's a lot of time involved in the training. And a lot of times that can drive couples apart because it's like, well, this is my me time because I need to go train for my race, you know. And then the, then the the spouse or significant other is like, well, I need my me time too. So now it's a competition. Whereas with uh, Ginger, my wife and I, we were able to kind of come together and make this a bonding, unifying experience as opposed to something that was like a you know a source of conflict. Yeah. And um, and I've also through the course of this, I've learned that she's a lot more mentally tough than I am. So uh, when you know, when, the, when the chips are down, she's the one that's like, okay, we're going to do this. One of my favorite examples was um, we were doing our first ultra Spartan race. So it's 30 miles. I think it was 8,000 feet of vertical gain, 60 obstacles. We're like, we're, we're, we're probably like 11 hours into this, you know, we're at mile like 27 or something. And due to some issues with the course, they had um, sh- uh, shut down, they were shutting down part of the course. So we just done like this super gnarly hill climb and it's like a 40% grade hiking straight up the mountain. We, we hit the summit, we came back down and there was some issue with the course. So the, they made a, a call to close down the course. So they were redirecting all the people that were behind us to not do that and come in right behind us. And, um, Ginger saw this and next thing I know, she just takes off running and, you know, me physically at this point, like I can't feel my feet. They're like these, these painful lumps on the end of my legs and, you know, the, the this rocky, uneven ground I've, we've been going for 11 hours straight, you know, sustained output exertion. And next thing I know, my wife is just running down the mountain. Right. And she, she's decided that she, all these people who didn't have to do that last hard, hard hill climb, she did not want them to come in, in front of her at the finish line. 
Wow. Right. And so she just takes off running and like, okay, I guess we're doing this. So I took, take off running right behind her. And I got done with the race and I was, I was kind of in some rough shape, but she was, she was in a lot better shape than I was at the end of the day. So wow. it's been good to have her kind of be my, my partner in crime for sure. That's awesome. I love that. And along with Ginger, I see that you do training with a lot of different people. You've actually, you know, gone to the extent of like setting up a lot of these obstacles in your house, um, around your house, places where you can train. I can tell you specifically, like if you haven't practiced throwing that spear, like good luck. Like there's a lot of technique that goes into that. I had the wherewithal not to step on the rope that, that the things connected to, but that was about it. It was pretty pathetic. <laughs> I, did, I definitely did some burpees there. Um, but what has it also been like, not only to be able to train so specifically for these events, but also to bring so many people along with you in these groups that I see on social media training all the time. It looks amazing. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of been a fun thing. Like it's one of those things that you, you start doing it. And then my, my wife actually does a, an Instagram page called iron horse athletes, um, where she posts a lot of this kind of family related fitness on there and other, our other friends see this and they're like, oh, it looks kind of fun. I think I might want to try that. Right. And so, and then you kind of, you kind of bring them into the fold with you, but then they, they don't want the race to be a hot mess when they show up. So they start asking for advice. So like you said, we, we kind of ended up kind of reformatting our backyard. So, um, I, I built monkey bars under my deck. I hung a, a climbing rope off of the deck so I could practice those things. We, we made our own spear throw. Cause like you said, if you don't have a place to practice, you know, a way to practice that it's like a 70% failure rate. And so, um, you know, it's a, so I went and bought supplies from home Depot, built a spear throw. And then we started uh, getting friends. I think we've done, uh, you know, these, these different groups, four different years now where we've had groups wow. of people go with us to varying degrees. And it's such a great communal experience. Um, I mean, there's, there's different ways you can race. And we mentioned in the intro that I'd done some age group races where it's, you know, it's timed and there's referees counting things. And it's, you know, it's about getting that, you know, those top ranked positions. And that's one type of race. The other way we do it is when I, like with, uh, with friends is it's kind of a no man left behind communal experience. And so uh, we have these people go with us that may be, you know, seasoned athletes or maybe the first time ever doing a, a structured race of any sort. And so it's, it's like this bonding experience where you all go through together. And it's, it's really fun that we did one just uh, this uh, two weeks ago here in Utah, where we had 15 people from all different walks of life that were part of our group. And uh, one of my favorite moments of the race was there was this uh, one of the girls that was with us and she didn't know if she could do the rope climb. And she was able to, she got about halfway up and she thought she was going to lose it. You could, you could physically watch her decide that she was not going to fail the obstacle and dig deep and must and muster up the, the strength and courage to keep on climbing. And she was able to climb to the top of that rope and ring that bell. And it was just such an inspirational thing to watch. Dude, that's amazing. I love those stories. I want to, I want to go back maybe to 2015 and I, I really, I hope you reflect on this a lot. And this is a huge reason of why I wanted to bring you on to talk about this, because as you look back at 2015, you see yourself, you know, you just got injured, you're carrying some extra weight. It, it, it can be so challenging to, to think like, how am I going to get past this? What am I going to do? You know, how am I going to overcome these obstacles? And what you did is you took a step, you joined a gym and then you took another step. You worked with a trainer for a little while and then you took a step and you worked with a nutritionist. And this was not, you know, 
overnight. This is such a process. But through that process, now it's 2022. This is not your job. You're not a trainer. You're not in the health space at all. Yet you are making a massive impact in your personal life, in the lives of your family, and in the lives of all of these friends and people who are then also making an impact. Do you ever like sit and reflect on that? It's pretty remarkable. I actually don't know that I've ever sized it up from the impact from the social scale of things. I mean, I, I tend to be kind of intrinsically motivated. So I'll definitely look at like kind of the progress I've made it, I've made over the course of the time of the journey. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about the people around you and the things that they see you doing on a daily basis. Right. And, you know, the inspiration you give to others, whether you know it or not, from a personal standpoint, it's tough. Um, you know, these aren't always easy things to be doing. Like you said, it, it matters to get out there and start with that first step, right? Like don't, don't, don't decide you're going to go run an ultra marathon right out of the gate. Like if, if you're just starting out, you know, just decide you're, you're going to go sign up for the gym. That's step one, right? And then you get that, you get to check off that box. You get that little dopamine hit of doing what you said you're going to do. And then, then the next one is like, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym one day a week, whatever your metric is that you can like a, an easily obtainable goal, build that momentum up. Yeah. But then it's it's also important too. I found that along the journey, there's always a next level to achieve, and it's it can be kind of daunting if you're going, climbing up climbing up this mountain of fitness. It's kind of my the way I think about it, and you're 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 staring up at the summit, right? And you 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 work so hard to get to that summit, but then you get to the top there, and you look, and there's another summit even further up. And if you're always just looking at what the hills you have to climb are, it can be a little discouraging. So it's important to kind of turn around. And look down the valley of where you've come from and appreciate the view. That is such great advice. I absolutely love that. I want you to think back again to 2015 and compare it to where you are now. Kiddos are thriving. They look super healthy. They're out doing all of this stuff with you guys. They're, they're, they're crushing it. They look look amazing. It looks like the type of childhood I wish I could have had a little bit more of. What does it mean to you now to feel like you are providing them with a healthy future and contrast that to where you were before back in 2015. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's one, one of the biggest things that I mean, that, that is one of the biggest impacts that I do, I do reflect on is my kids because I get to see them every day and the lifestyles that they're living. And even the, the discussions we have about nutrition and fitness. Um, so we got them into Spartan racing because, you know, we were going up there and we saw it and we, we thought it was a good thing to do. One of the cool things about the Spartan program is they had a whole like media campaign for the Spartan kids race about how kids need to do hard things. And um, so we had them watch that and they do the Spartan races, which aren't easy. I mean, you have like a, a 40 pound kid carrying a 20 pound sandbag. It's, you know, if you look at the, 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 the ratio there, it's definitely harder than what the grownups have to do. But, um, so we haven't watched these, like how, how kids should do hard things videos. So now when something gets hard, instead of like, you know, the typical kid mode of we're like, Oh, I can't do it. Cause it's hard. Right. Like now I can come back and say, Hey, that's great. We're Spartans. We do hard things. Right. And then, um, just seeing the physical progression in them, they, we've, we've gotten them into Taekwondo. Um, they do, they go running with us, uh, during the COVID shutdown, it was actually kind of interesting. You know, that's when we were, we were doing a lot of training for races before they started canceling them, but we just decided to carry that forward. And then the kids came home from school for that year to do uh, remote learning. And so not knowing there wasn't any PE class available any longer, we're like, okay, it's, it's 7 a.m. We're going to get up and we're going to go do a family 5K together, right? And so that's what was on our training program and we can't leave the kids home alone. 
So we just kind of adapted and figured out how to make it work. So at first it was them riding their bikes with us for the 5k. And we kind of live in a hilly area. So there's some hills. So I'd have to push them up some of the hills on their bikes. And there's quite a few times where they were walking and I was carrying the bikes in each hand as I was hiking up these hills. But then it kind of kept progressing where, you know, it's like, okay, let's see how far you can pedal up the hill. And so we kind of, we leave a little rock on the trail so they could have a new, a new metric each time to see if they could get better. And then eventually one day they're like, well, do you want to try running with us? And so then they, they, they ran a mile and then they ran two miles. Now they're running like the full three miles. And they got to the point where they were running, they were running the three miles with us every day. Right. And they get on their zoom call for, for school, eight o'clock after doing this, I'm like, what'd you do this morning? Oh, I went and ran our 5k. And, <laughs> and it, it kind of helps being isolated a little bit too. Cause they didn't have their peer group that they could like get a frame of reference that wasn't normal to run a 5k every day. You know, they just did that. Cause that's what mom and dad did, but it's been, a, it's been a real, a real blessing and a pleasure to watch them. I mean, I, I just, their, their physical prowess and ability and just the, the mental, uh, way that they put things in perspective. You know, if now if I ask them if they want to go work out with me, they're excited to do it. And my, my youngest, uh, he loves just swinging on monkey bars and the, the rings we have set up for our training. That's amazing. Yeah, dude, that's, it's, it's just so amazing in this world where, you know, we can make things be so comfortable. Like you talked about earlier to try uncomfortable things and push that way, I think is amazing. And so cool that you've been able to notice that with your friends and family. I, I don't get super hopeful when I see how this generation is coming up, but when I see the way that you guys are doing things, making it fun, making it engaging, teaching them about movement and nutrition and without making it so restrictive or forcing them, I think is absolutely wonderful. This has been such a cool conversation with so many great life lessons and learning points. And I really think your story is super inspirational. I hope there are listeners out there that take so much from this and start to pivot their lives into a more positive direction in a way that's very, very simple. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, if somebody local wanted to do, you know, some Spartan racing with you, where can people go to find out about you and connect with you and your work? Um, probably the best way to engage with us would be on the uh, Instagram page that my wife maintains. It's the Iron Horse Athletes. Um, that's our, that's a public profile we have and you can see on there and she does, she's a really amazing photographer. So there's lots of cool pictures of us just doing crazy stuff. That's great. Awesome. We will definitely tag that in the notes. Ken Sykes, it is such an honor again to host you on our show. Your story is so inspirational and I think it can help a lot of people. So thank you so very much for everything that you had to go through. Thank you for sharing your message here, sharing a message with your community and with your family. We just so appreciate you. So thank you so very much. And thank you for giving us some of your time today. We really appreciated it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It was an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited 
to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.